Last week, as we began uh, the new series on the movement, I encourage you to start praying backwards. Now, um, by that, I don't so much mean the order of our words, but the intent and focus of our hearts. Too often, we tag on, in Jesus' name, amen, as a way to conclude our prayer. So we know, and so if we're praying publicly, so others know, we're done. I mean, if we're being dead honest, that's what we do. And we don't think about what we have just said. But when we begin to pray backwards, where we conform all of the prayer to Jesus' name, to who He is and what He represents, it will transform how we pray. It also will give us an indicator of what incredible power and access God has given us. Last week, I shared with you that really what praying in Jesus' name is, is it's more like a power of attorney. It is a, a right that is granted to followers of Jesus Christ because of who He is that gives us incredible access to accomplish what He has called you and I to do. And so I wrote out something that maybe is somewhat representative of the privilege we've been given. And I want to just remind us of that as we move on into this this new passage. So maybe what he's given us in praying in his name, it means something like this. I, Jesus, who now reside in heaven and has all authority granted to me by my Father, designate to my follower you as my agent to act for me in accordance with my will and purpose during my physical absence. This document is effective upon the date of which the designee becomes a follower of me through faith in my name and shall remain in effect until my return to the earth as King of kings and Lord of lords. That's the privilege and the power he's given us. When we understand who we are praying to and the access that we have been given to the throne room of God, it will change our prayers. We read about the people in the Bible who prayed with boldness and saw God do incredible things. It is because they had a genuine understanding of who God is and a boldness in their prayer that was conformed to God's will. And that's the secret. You see, we've been granted rights and authority to act as Jesus would act powers of an agent, we've been given the opportunity to complete Jesus' work. We've been given access to the Father. We must rely, however, on His Word and His Holy Spirit. And we have restrictions upon our prayer and our powers in that they are to do His will and not ours, to represent His name and not our own, and to work in unity with one another. So that's the power of our prayer. Today, what I want us to focus in on is the purpose of our prayer. Now, we all have an assumption of why we pray. It's very interesting that that even um, those who would say they are atheists often pray. There is something built within us that knows there is a need for us to communicate with an otherness, even if we don't know who that otherness is, There's a desire to communicate with God that is built within us. 
But the purpose of prayer is not simply to ask for things. That tends to be what we do most, but it is not really its purpose. Back in the days of the Old Testament, the gods of the people were supposed to make life easier on its followers. The god of rain brought rain. The fertility god brought children. The the god of the harvest would bring forth good crops. The war god, Mars in this case, if 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 we're looking at the Romans and the Greeks, brought victory in battle. For every need, there was a god. And when your needs changed, you would change who you would pray to. And if, if a particular God wasn't meeting your needs, then you would change and pray to a different God. Because it was all about who? Me, right? Or you. Now, when we stop and really think about that logically, we realize that something incredible is missing. That prayer ultimately is far more about God and who He truly is than it is about us. Now, perhaps today we, at least in Western society, don't pray to the God of rain or the God of war, but we have plenty of idols that we worship and that we put in God's place. We may strive and seek and even pray for comfort for pleasure, for power, for money, for things that we have set up as idols of selfishness that are in the place that only belongs to God. So the real issue of prayer is not what we think about prayer or what we think about the patterns of prayer, but ultimately it is learning to discover who God is And therefore, I believe that the ultimate purpose of prayer are these two things. To know God first and foremost. That is its number one purpose. God has given us a communication mechanism of prayer in order to get to know Him. Now, when you think about your prayer life, how much of your prayer life is centered on knowing who God is, discovering who God is? Knowing God means that there's a growth in intimacy, a delight in being in His presence, in listening to Him, in learning to love, to trust and obey Him. That's our purpose in prayer. The second purpose in prayer is to make God known. Because when we discover who He truly is, it will become the natural outflow of our hearts that we want others to see this amazing God who we have encountered in His Word, in prayer, and through a personal relationship with His Son, Jesus Christ. But is that what we pray about? When you look at your prayer list, how much real estate does knowing God and making Him known really, really consume? You see, I believe this is what Jesus is ultimately saying in John chapter 15. Let me read those verses to you again. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. 
Abiding means that we're connecting, we're coming to know Him, and we're dwelling in His presence. We're knowing God for who He is. Apart from me, we can do nothing. There is no power, there is no praying in His name if we're not abiding in His person. It's a, it's a requirement. And therefore, if anyone does not abide in me, his prayers aren't answered. He is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. But if you abide in me and my words, the Scripture, abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. Notice the parameters there on asking for what we wish. It's we have to have that communion, that connection, that knowing God and knowing His will and a desire to make Him known that fuels prayers that are answered yes and answered in powerful and wonderful ways. So we have to pursue, first of all, the right purpose. Here in this passage, abiding in His love and presence equals knowing God and bearing fruit fulfills the second purpose of prayer in making God known. Oftentimes, it was interesting, I've done, I did a search this week just on prayer to find articles that were out there and, and praying, and I, and I specifically put in prayer to know God. And you know, almost nothing came up on the wonders of the internet but lots of things came up on praying to know God's will, praying to unleash God's power for blessing in your life, on all kinds of other things that were, again, trying to take God and reimagine Him in our own image rather than who He truly is. And rather, getting, rather than getting to know the God who gave us life and gave His life for us. I want you to listen to God's invitation to you and I. It's found, there are several of them, but this particular one is found in Psalm 91, beginning in verse 14. This is a promise that God gives to, to the author of the psalm that is a promise for you and I as well. Because he holds fast. Now, if you're one who, who marks in your Bible, you might want to just put the word abides right there because that's exactly what it means. Because he abides in my love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. And if you remember from last week, the name in the scripture is the person physically present, present with you at that very moment. It represents all we know about the person. That's why praying in Jesus' name is so powerful. And it means that they are with him. Knowing his name means knowing who he is. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. God wants you to know him and experience him personally. This is a promise. If we hold fast, if we love him, if we seek to know his name, he will answer, he will rescue, he will do things far greater than anything we imagine or think. The power of our prayer then lies not primarily in the effort or striving or the amount of time or any technique, but rather in our growing intimacy and knowledge of God. A.W. Tozer said it so well many, many years ago. 
What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. He goes on to argue, we tend by a secret law of the soul to move towards our mental image of God. That means if I have a false understanding of who God is, my worship, my prayers, my very life will drift. This is why it is absolutely essential that we marry prayer and the Scripture together in our hearts. I want to encourage you, encourage you with all that I am to pray Scripture. Even as Karen began our time of corporate prayer by praying that passage of, of Scripture out of Ephesians, that is what guides us in prayer because that is how God has already communicated to us who He is. And so we want prayer, it, it's designed to be a conversation. It's not just us speaking one way, it's us listening to God. And that's why we need His Word to guide and direct our prayers. We grow by being intentional in seeking and pursuing the one that we love. And it's not just about time. One of the sayings that my mom used to tell me all the time when I, when I was growing up was she would remind me that she had been a Christian much longer than I had when we would have a disagreement either about theology or practicality in serving the Lord. There was this one little problem with that statement is it really had nothing to do with growing in closeness to the Lord. And I'll give it to you this way. There was more length of time since her salvation event till that moment, but there wasn't necessarily growth in intimacy. For instance, I've been married to Rebecca, my wife, um, for 32 and a half years, and I've known her for about 35. But I've known her cousins since I was six years old, okay? I've got a lot more time and knowledge with her cousins. I met them first. But I know Becky a whole lot better than I know her cousins. I don't even know their middle name. I know all their first names, all 47 of them. <laughs> she comes from a really big family, okay? And so yeah, there's a lot of them. And that's why I have no clue what any of their middle names are because it's hard enough to keep track of their first names. But because we've been intentional about growing our relationship towards one another and because we love one another, there's an intimacy and a knowledge and a connection between us as husband and wife that's different than any other relationship that I have. That's the intimacy God wants to have with you personally. Isn't that amazing? That he wants you to know him that well. And the only thing keeping us from knowing him that well is us and our desire. We need Scripture to guide us to understand how to pray and how to get to know God and make Him known. Tim Keller, in his book on prayer, says it this way. If God's words are His personal, active presence, then to put your trust in God's word is to put your trust in God Himself. Communication from God is therefore communion with God when met with a response of trust from us. So praying the scriptures is vital. 
in your sermon notes, I put some steps in there, and I've used some of these before because I keep wanting to come back and encourage you to especially use the Psalms as a, as a guide to your prayer life. Pick a Psalm each day when you pray. Skim over it, read through it, look for a verse or two that stands out that tells you something about God, about His character, and use that to guide and direct your prayer time. And you will grow in intimacy. It will change how you pray. Because chances are, most of us, when we don't use Scripture to guide our prayers, our prayers sound all the same. We may rearrange the words, but we end up saying the same thing over and over again because we're stuck in the beginnings of a relationship. Just like in a, in a, a friendship, when you're beginning that, you only have so many things in common, and so you end up talking about the same things over and over again. But when you get to know one another deeper and better, there's a whole other layer of your relationship. And God has given us the Psalms, the book of prayer, and the book of song, because every song is designed to be a prayer, and every prayer can be a song to the Lord, a praise song. He's given us that so that we can get to know his heart. Now, there's other parts of Scripture we want to pray and use to guide us as well, but that is a great place to really begin in growing in intimacy with the Lord. Eugene Peterson gives us some insight in this. He says, The Psalms teach us to pray through both imitation and response. Real prayer is always an answer to God's revelation. The Psalms are both prayer and revelations about God, the perfect ideal soil for learning how to pray. The Psalms take us deep into our own hearts a thousand times faster than we would ever go if we were left on our own because they are so filled with emotion and the rawness of the human experience, the challenges and disappointments and the things that we discover about God that we don't like. They're found in the Psalms that we wrestle with. But here's the thing. We need to make sure that our understanding of who God is is based upon His Word and the accuracy of what He says. So many times I will hear people make a statement something like this. I cannot believe in a God who does this or who says this. And what they are doing is they are conforming who God is, at least in their own minds, to their own image rather than to who He says He is. When you encounter the Psalms and other passages of Scripture, you see a wrestling with the aspects and the struggles of of things we don't understand about God. And let me tell you something. Let me give you permission. That is okay. Every believer will wrestle with the mystery of God. But when we continue to go back to him and say, Lord, I don't understand. Help me to to know who you are because I see this truth about your love, but I'm confused about some of the commandments and some of the things that you tell me. Help me to bring them together and change me. Because we have no right to ask God to be different than he is. He is perfect. And so the confirmation, the change needs to happen in us. Peterson goes on to say, most importantly, the Psalms force us to deal with God as He is. To learn about Him and to know Him and discover that He is far greater than anything we ever could have imagined. 
But here's the great thing. When we come to know God, we receive an incredible benefit as well. Because the deepest human desire that you and I have is to be known. To be known for who we are with all of our baggage, all of our failure, all of our disappointment, and to be accepted and loved. And that's what God extends to us through faith in Jesus Christ. Now, He doesn't want us to stay there. He wants to transform us so that our life will be filled with joy and with His Holy Spirit and with His presence. And that's why He tells us to repent and to turn around and to conform our life to the likeness of Jesus Christ. But He wants us to know He knows us and He loves us. Listen to some of these scriptures. Galatians 4, verse 9. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? Or 1 Corinthians 13. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. And ultimately, in 2 Corinthians 1.20, for all the promises of God find their yes in Him, in Jesus Christ. That is why it is through Him that we utter our amen to, the glory, to God for His glory. Everything you desire, I desire, the promises of God ultimately are found in knowing Jesus Christ for who He truly is. And He invites us to simply say, Pursue me, seek me, want to know me, and he will reveal more and more of who he is to you. When we look at the prayers of the Bible that are bold, that are amazing, the secret behind them is they had a vision and understanding, a faith in God that was greater than their fear and greater than their desire for themselves. That's why when Joshua prayed, the sun stood still. When Elijah prayed, it rained down fire from heaven. When Jesus prayed, the dead rose to life. When the church prayed, an angel pulled Peter from prison. When Hezekiah prayed, his life was extended. When Hannah prayed, God gave her a child. And perhaps the greatest one, the one that we want to see happen again afresh in our own midst is when the church prayed in Acts 4.31, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Don't we want to see that happen again? That God would visit us in a way where we know we have been in His presence? It happens when we as a people Decide we are going to pursue him and that the pursuit of our prayer is to know him and to make him known. He will do amazing things because we will connect with the reality of who he is. God displays his power and his greatness through prayer because it unleashes the presence and work of his Holy Spirit. That is why Zechariah 4, 6 says, Then he said to me, This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. 
prayer is much more, much more than just power. It is a connection with God. I want to close with a somewhat strange passage of Scripture, at least strange to me. Turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 11. Mark chapter 11, verse 11. This is during Jesus' last week before He is to be crucified. Mark eleven eleven, And He entered Jerusalem... And he went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. Does that seem kind of like a weird verse? Or maybe, you know, why is that there? Jesus goes in, he's at the temple, he looks around and leaves. Seems kind of strange. We go on. And look what it says. Jesus was looking, and it's almost as if in that moment, as he was looking, he could tell something incredibly important was missing. But he wasn't ready to share it yet with his disciples. Verse 12. On the following day, when they came from Bethany, he was hungry. And seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, he went to see if he could find anything on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. And he said to it, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard it. The fig tree was missing fruit. It wasn't producing that for which God was looking for. It wasn't fulfilling its very purpose for existence. And there's a connection between that And Jesus looking at the temple. Because God's word intentionally puts that illustration right between Jesus going to the temple, looking around, looking for something, not seeing it and leaving and going back the next day. Verse 15. And they came to Jerusalem and he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold um, and who bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. And he was teaching them and saying to them, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations? But you have made it a den of robbers. What was missing in the temple was a prayer to know God and make God known. For all nations. Instead, the temple had become a place about people's own desires. They were there to make money. They were there to see what religious people or religion could do for them, how it could profit them. And Jesus is angry. He's angry because his house is being misused, but perhaps he is most frustrated because the very purpose for which the temple was established as a place of prayer where he would be known and be made known, that was missing. But that brings us as followers of Jesus Christ back to a very stark question. The scripture tells us that we are the temple of God. Through faith in Jesus Christ, 
He dwells not in a temple made by hands, but in the temple of our hearts. 1 Corinthians 6, 19, Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God with your body. Here's the sobering question. If Jesus was to enter the temple of my heart, of your heart today, and to look around, would he see it as a place of prayer? where there is a pursuit to know him and make him known as the deepest desire of our hearts. What would he see? I'm asking the Lord to cleanse my temple and to make me once again a house of prayer where I will pursue him with all that I am so that he may be known. That's when his promise If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Would you allow the Lord to cleanse your temple, to do whatever work he needs to do and to change the priority of your heart and the pursuit of prayer to be knowing God and making him known? If you do, you will discover a relationship with God that is filled with joy and meaning and significance and a power in our prayers that shows everyone we are Jesus' followers.